Come on. They're right there. Let's go. Move, 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 move. This episode of Choices Not Chances podcast is sponsored by Louisiana Gun Shop. Located on Highway 90 West in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette. For more information, stay tuned at the end of this episode. This is Choices Not Chances podcast with Ryan and Matt. I'm your co-host, Matthew Shrett. So next to me is Ryan Rogers. Ryan. Hey guys, welcome back to Choices Not Chances. And just like every other episode, if you take something away from this episode, something strikes you, touches you, moves you, share it out to the rest of your community, share it to your sphere of influence, and, uh, and we'll get stronger together. Today, my guest is Luke Sherman. He's a 30-year veteran of the Tulsa Police Department and currently serves as a senior vice president of outreach for Folds of Honor, leading in first responder programs. Folds of Honor is a nonprofit organization that provides educational scholarships to spouses and children of military and first responders who have fallen or been disabled. Since its inception in 2007, Folds of Honor has awarded nearly 44,000 scholarships valued at over $200 million. As a member of the Tulsa Police Department, Captain Luke Sherman served from 1992 to 2022. He was part of the command staff for the department and has over two decades of experience leading, influencing, and guiding hundreds of police officers in their, deploy- in their department's employees and enforcement of local, state, and federal laws. Captain Sherman was involved in thousands of critical incidents while working patrol, street, uh, street crime, SWAT, and leading the department's fugitive warrant unit. Uh, warrants unit. He also has commanded the department's special investigation division and the special response team. Throughout his decorated career, Luke has been awarded many medals, including the prestigious Medal of Valor. He is a former chairman and current senior director with the National National Tactical Officers Association, and he holds a bachelor's in science in criminal justice with a minor in psychology and sociology. And Luke and I met just a few months back. We were in um, we were both in the same state at the same time at the same event. Happened to be there. I was selling books at the event, and I think he was happening uh, to to get a feel for and tour Operation Patriots FOB. Operation Patriots FOB is a uh, a veteran nonprofit organization in South Carolina that you know has bunkhouses and and ponds and riding trails and a rifle range, a pistol range, skeet ranges. Uh, you know. Uh, it's a place where if you're a veteran, you register with them, it's completely free to you to go there to get the, you know, the necessary getaway that you need. Um, and, and it's a nice little East Coast retreat for veterans right there in South Carolina. So like I said, I'm doing a book signing and um, and I got to meet uh, Mr. Luke Sherman. He came up, he bought a book for me from me. We chatted about speaking. We chatted about Folds of Honor. And, uh, and, and I said, man, we got to have you on and, and put it out to the community and the greater uh, population, what Folds of Honor is doing and, and uh, for the veterans and, 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 you know, what organizations like that are doing. And so um, we finally lined it up. We finally got, uh, got in the studio. And Luke Sherman, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you for having me. It's an honor, uh, honor to be here. And uh, the, the connections are always, they're synergistic. And they're just, uh, man, I, I believe in that. So I felt that that move to come over and, and, and give you actually a hug and, <laughs> and you know, in exchange as uh, brothers in arms and uh, now brothers in peace. But uh, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. 
Yeah, man, I appreciate it. So we'll just get right into it. Um, I want to little, learn a little bit about about your ha- your past and your history as uh, as a, as an individual, as a person coming up that led you to be you know where you are today and 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 uh, and giving back. So if you can just kind of start from the beginning in childhood, where'd you grow up, and uh, and we'll kind of take it from there. Man, it's it's, it's crazy. I am a uh, orphan uh, coming out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So the, the land of Miller Lite and, uh, and Harley Davidson. So <laughs> I, I, I um, adopted um, in, in writing a book. And part of that book is uh, one of my chapters is from the from the ghetto to the suburbs. Um, man, I was I was snatched out of uh, the, 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 you know, the I guess the, the, the system, shall we say, by a family and moved to a small town, uh, Burlington, Wisconsin, where Tony Gromo grew up. So all my cousins are my younger cousins are friends of Tony Romo in Burlington, Wisconsin, but had the, had the grace to be able to pull, get pulled out of that, man, I'm a huge opportunity person. Hmm. So didn't know that then at six months old, but, uh, man, that's where my life began. Uh, I'm a cheese head. I'm, I'm from, you know, the, the, the great state of Wisconsin, which yeah. sometimes can't seem to figure out where it's going up or down or right or left. But, uh, that's, uh, that's where I, I started, moved into Oklahoma in 81, um my dad uh, works in 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 the paper business and the journalism business moved down here he was actually thinking about becoming an evangelist uh, went through have six kids they're all they're all natural I'm, I'm the adopted one so big family moved to Oklahoma became a sooner or started to become a sooner um and then moved from there went uh, went into football and all the things that you do as a kid you know play baseball and football and that was my aspiration um started to realize man you know that's that's really not where i'm i'm gonna make it nobody's gonna make it there and and went to college to be an eye doctor and and bumped into a buddy of mine uh that uh still a dear friend of mine on the police department and he uh started to talk to me a little bit and, and you know purpose and i started to think do i want to be an ophthalmologist on this on this weird anomaly i'm this adopted black kid to a white family that's going to be an ophthalmologist that's a brain nerd that loves trigonometry and calculus and can play football. So <laughs> it didn't really all fit. Um, you know, I was an athlete nerd. Um, and man, my buddy in my first year of college just started pushing on me and, and that purpose and that impact started to bleed into my heart a little bit. And you start to realize, I don't want to do that. I don't want to spend that amount of time. Mm. So with that being said, I jumped, uh, jumped over, went home, told my parents, Hey, I'm going to be in law enforcement and never look back. It's, uh, it's been a really neat uh, perspective after 30 years because you get to serve hmm. um, and you get to do those things that uh, that sometimes are difficult. But um, and it's 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 neat when the bullets are flying to realize this is my purpose um, and this is what I'm going to do from there on the police department, moved right through it, uh, promoted in 98, came on in 91, 92, joined SWAT in 95 and really felt the brotherhood there. Yeah, it's a um, smaller, more, um, you know, like more dedicated unit, right? Kind of like a team. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I'm not way. saying is that, that. Is that light behind me? Five you guys are asking. Uh, it's just changing the the lighting of your camera. It's not bothering me. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's all good. Okay. Like, so um, just, to, just to slow down a bit, I just want to try to understand a little bit better. So you're adopted at six months old. Yeah. You're raised in, in a normal, I don't say normal, but in, in a normal esque family you're playing team sports you have tons right. of brothers and sisters six of them um 
what did your brothers and sisters do? Were there any other uh, law enforcement? No, no. <laughs> okay. Great question. Older brother is a surgeon. Um, older sister is a school teacher. Younger brother, uh, I could give you birthdays. That's just my natural. Younger brother is a, is an attorney. Uh-huh. Um, took about six months of practicing regular attorney stuff and ha- said, I hate it. He does wills in the States. Younger sister is a, a physical therapist. I'm married to another physical therapist. And then my youngest brother's a neuro nurse. So, so when we're in the Thanksgiving, my mom never <laughs> raised anybody, or didn't do anything else. She was a, a little Irish, red haired Irish woman that raised six kids, the hellion being me. Um, <laughs> But, uh, uh, and then dad was a journalist that got his, he got his, uh, he, he was an evangelist, he had that flair for that, but that never really materialized. But the neat thing my dad was able to do was travel for the Tulsa world and write stories with his buddy who was an evangelist. And so he, uh, he got to see the world and, and sort of look at the different focal points of faith and everything around the world, which I drew into because I want to know what makes people different. Mm. But uh, yeah, we, it's funny when we when we sit around a Thanksgiving dinner, um, I joke and say I'm the dumb one. Um, all the other ones were smart. But what's funny is, Ryan, that the the stories are always, hey, Luke, tell us the stories. Mm. It's not tell us physical therapy stories. or Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. They wanted to know the story. So it's interesting to me. I was almost waiting for you to say that, that your parents were doctors or, or, or no. in the medical field. But you have a lot of, like all of your brothers and sisters had something to do with that for the most part. You got a lawyer yeah. that, here and there. But yeah, where do you think yeah. that came from? Um, you know, they were, my, my dad's, my dad's dad was on the Manhattan project. So when we got to see Oppenheimer that, you know, very smart side there, um, uh, you know, it, the, the outlier or the flyer was the lawyer, but, uh, super smart, mm. um, all two or three points off perfect on their ACTs. Did you um, say your dad's dad was part of the Manhattan pod project? Yeah. 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 So he, uh, he, as a matter of fact, I, I took my father, uh, to that movie. Um, and he, he's 80, almost 78. And he brought the actual plaque that his father was presented from the U S government, oh uh, for the, and, but it was not the Manhattan project. It was a Manhattan district. And my, my grandfather was a supervisor in charge of traveling around with a team of inspectors to ensure that the program as it expanded was, you know, the protocols were in place and wow. travel all over. But very smart family, um, but but uh, blessed. You know, I didn't wrinkle it and put it in there. But my family, my dad was a wrestler. My mom was came out of mid the middle of Wisconsin. Dad was a wrestler out of New Mexico, and got fifteen twenty scholarships: Lehigh, Penn State, uh, OU, OSU, Ohio State, mm-hmm. and and went to Wisconsin. Um, and and that's fortunately where they met. They were hippies. <laughs> it was the sixties. And the, the way that I came about was in 67, 66, they were out just being hippies in Madtown, Wisconsin, and thought, and it was popular, let's go adopt inner city black kids. And so a group of them loaded up, they traveled from Madtown, which is about two hours from Milwaukee, and went to Milwaukee. And basically were the powder poured on the hand and smacked in the face and, and were told by DHS, no, you don't just show up and pick a black kid. Yeah, that's not how it works. So they left, and uh, and this is the the amazing part of that adopted part is that they had my older brother, they had my older sister, 
And then the DPS, the DHS Department of Human Services came back and said, hey, we have a match for you. And the, the, the blessing that I got was, man, they already had a family. Mm-hmm. But they said, you know what? We were serious about this. We're growing up as young parents. We're not hippies anymore, which is nothing wrong with hippies. They're, we're not in that college environment. We're young adults, young parents. Let's take a chance. And, and uh, man, had it not been, I'd probably have been on the other side of the fence from law enforcement. Could so, have been. Could have been. Could have been. Very good. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how the influences in our life at a young age really you know, like set the trajectory for what our life is going to be like when we're older. Nobody really thinks about that, I don't think. Even when people tell you as a young right. person like what's important and what will be important later, like a lot of people won't listen. Um, but right. that 0 to 12 um, area of your psychological being being Huge. formed is enormous, yeah. And I seen uh, on your on your um, on your bio you were in into psychology as your minor. Mm-hmm. Yes. Why did you choose that? You know, I, I, I looked at that and I thought, you know, sociology and and, and psych, psychology were. I wanted to I wanted to be able to say if I'm going to be a policeman, I want to I want to understand it. Mm. I want to try to learn a little bit more. This isn't draconian. It's not thuggery. Um, and I felt like the most rewarding part of being a policeman was when I was a young guy and now there's all sorts of rewards, but when you were young and, and I, I wanted to work in the ghetto, I wanted to work in the worst spots, but it was about the connections and you could talk to the worst guys out there. But if you, if you had sort of the time to think through, why is that guy like that? Um, and you develop that reputation of, of people thinking, man, I love this guy. He actually, and now if I'm doing something bad, I don't like him, mm-hmm. but He's, he's, if he stops me, it, we're rapping. We're not, we're, he's not jacking me up and pulling me out of a car and mm-hmm. throwing me on the ground. And, and, and so I wanted to understand people. Um, and that was probably, probably came from a very early age of trying to understand what makes everybody different. Mm. You know, I mean, growing up in Burlington, Wisconsin, the, and I use this all the time when I speak, the, the Forrest Gump part of the movie in Forrest Gump where he's on the bus, seat's taken, seat's taken. Man, I was one of two black kids in that town. And I don't, I'm an American. I don't look at black and white. I don't look at those things. Hmm. But as a young kid growing up, I do identify with, man, I am different. I'm the only kid in here that looks like me. Hmm. Um, and man, I got picked last in kickball until I realized he's fast and he actually can play. And then I got picked <laughs> early. Um, but, but you had to identify that. So I always sort of soul searched with what makes us, why makes us, how makes us, what are we, what, what makes people tick. And, and that was my psychology. Story. No. And, and, and that makes so. sense to me. That's, that's logical. I love psychology myself. And for a lot of the same reasons, I like to try to understand myself a lot of times. Like, yeah. Why am I the way I am? What, you know, what made me this way? And then, you know, it really helped me in life in general, understanding, you know, body language and understanding where people can come from and understanding that, you know, regardless of the life that I have, there are many, many people that that are less fortunate than I am. You know, there's, of course, there's a lot of people that are far more fortunate than I am too. And so in the, for those same reasons, I've loved psychology. When I went to school, I, I did, uh, you know, developmental and abnormal psychology uh, classes, you know, when I first came in and I just kind of fell in love with that stuff. Um, Do you think that, um, well, let me ask this first. Did you experience any outright like racism as a younger child growing up? (laughs) Yes. And I mean, I mean, younger, younger, four or five years old. 
Uh, I didn't didn't there. Um, like when's that start? Know, yeah, that started for me um, fifth and sixth grade. Okay. Um, and I kept that. That was and that's a that's a very private side of me that that my mom and dad didn't know until I was about forty eight. Sure. Um, but man, I I learned to run fight and sometimes win um sometimes it, you know negotiate with that with that element um sometimes get the better of them in that fight sometimes they get the better of you you know multiple adversaries you're not gonna win usually mm-hmm. um learned how to nat- land nav in different ways to get home yeah. um you know and and nobody knew that i kept that from everybody i kept that from my older brother I kept that, um, you know, I'm the protector in the family. So my older brother watched me get my nose ripped off by a kid one day and, and said, hey, let's go home. Let's go home and eat. And I'm uh-huh. <laughs> thinking, man, my nose broke, buddy. You're my older brother. Where's the, where's the, where's my knight in shining armor? That's my older brother. That yeah, where's my protection? Where's my protection, man? You know, and, and where's the, the guy that I want to aspire to be? But, but that started probably fifth and sixth grade. Um, and I hit a lot of that and, and that became the pent up frustration of why, why am I, uh, why are you doing this to me? You know, mm-hmm. why? And, and, and what's funny about that, Ryan, is there was one other black kid in town and I would see him occasionally and he would be looking at me from across the street and I'd be looking at him and I'm thinking, I wonder if you're getting that same kind of treatment I'm getting. Um, oh, were you guys because, not friends? You guys not talk? No, oh, okay. we just didn't talk. Um, it was small enough town. I had my circles. Um, but, uh, but I just, I remember those days well, and I think that formed, you know, people said so unfortunate and there's a side of our society that wants to talk about the bad and that I'll take the good. And the good was it, it taught me very quickly to trust your instincts. Mm -hmm. It taught me to read people quickly, but not to judge people. It taught me, um, that sometimes your adversary is more, is more, you know, has more strength than you and pick and choose your battles. Mm. Um, and, and that taught me also that, that, you know, there's, there's evil in the world and there are things that we can't truly understand. You can, you can wrap your mind around trying, or you can move forward and try to figure out solutions. So Mm. I'm a glass half full versus a glass half empty person. Um, bumped into one of those dudes. Um, these were young, aspiring skinheads um, years later at a gas pump. Um, and I was a policeman and he was, I don't know what his record was, but I always remember eyes. And I remember seeing some eyes looking at me and I looked and saw the eyes and I thought, I know you. And he knew me mm-hmm. and he knew where I was from and he knew, had probably had an idea where I had gone. And uh, we exchanged a very uh, fragile apology from him where mm. he actually started to cry a little bit. Um, you know, nothing major, but, uh, he said, man, you probably want to kill me. And I said, man, I sort of kind of do, but I said, man, that's, that's not where we're at. I said, we were kids. And he goes, I don't know why we tormented you like we did, but he goes, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, and, and man, that's good. That's good. That's life. Yeah. That's where life well, at least he be, grew, you know? uh, yeah. You know, like for me, this is, it's just not that. I just didn't have that experience. I grew up in Ohio. There was uh, there was one black kid in my class. We were great friends. You know, we right. fished and we yeah. hunted. And, and, and I'm sure he had other people that were not friends with him. I was, I was raised in a family that didn't see color necessarily. And there just wasn't right. confronted 
you know, with, with anything like that until I went to boot camp. And then once you get a boot camp, everybody's green and it didn't Where's really it? matter. Right. Yeah. So it just kind of fell yeah. into that. And then, you know, as I started interviewing people for my show, I started hearing a lot of things that I was just not, it was not my, in my world. It was not in my reality. Yeah. And it, and you know, that's tough. And I don't know how mm. to, I don't know how to fix necessarily because like you're not born racist. And that's why I asked at three, four, five, six years old, friend, like yeah. that's not a thing, but it right. is a learned, uh, habitually learned thing for kids, um, which means that's in the house, right? Because I highly yeah. doubt that they're hearing it at school from teachers and other role models. Um, right. And for right. me, it was just like for so long, I just wanted to say, no, oh, it's not a real thing. This is just something the media does. But um, the more people I talk to, with different stories is like, no. And right. at least when people are growing up, this is a real thing. Um, and, right. and you know, people that talked about seeing it in the Marine Corps from senior staff members, uh, or, or in the army from senior staff members. And it's like, you know, this is an issue that you know, nobody wants to talk about, it, especially if you're white, right. nobody, nobody white wants right. to talk about this problem, but it's a problem. Mm -hmm. Like it's a problem that we need to get past. Um, and you have, you have that. excelled yeah. past it, uh, yeah. phenomenally. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I would imagine was, that guy would grow up and, and feel that when he sees you and say, you know how stupid I was when I was 13. You know what I was yeah. saying to this kid? Yeah. You know, and, so. and, and it's, you know, I've, I've always said that everybody's different. Um, but in with the beauty of law enforcement, the beauty of the military, the beauty of, of team sports, the beauty of those things um, where, where there's a mission mm. and there's purpose is people begin to identify the person um and 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 i think it's a relief from the psychological perspective because there's learned behaviors early that were were different um but then when like you're talking about when you get into boot camp and you're around guys that are different than you and come from different ethnicities and and i mean it's a blending pot of and then you realize no that guy's that that guy's this cheese crackers man he's amazing you know yeah. i don't i don't look at him like anything other than he's my brother. And, mm. and, and then when you get into critical environments, you know, a few of the times in my career where you realize, man, that was close. We're getting rounds dumped on us. And you look over and you see my Italian brother who's, and he's looking at me and I'm looking at him behind a bunker and we're just laughing. And, and, you know, and you're thinking, you know, you're shielded and you're thinking this is, this is now it's it, I'm not looking at him and thinking, man, he's a guy in green and he's white. I'm yeah. looking at him thinking, man, are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. This is crazy. Yeah. You know, this guy's, um, but I think it's from across the street, they look different, but I've always said, and, and I believe this, it's in the book. It, it, when you cross the street and you engage that person, then, then you start to get different dimensions of the person than versus just what you see. You yep. get the, you get the flavor of the person's voice. You get the flavor of the person's, their, their, their fear of how they are. You get, you get the, you may even get a touch if somebody's gives you a, you know, and so that to me is what, what's lost in America is we're so, and don't, you don't get me started, but we're so focused on it's this or it's that. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, from a law enforcement perspective as a, commander there's certain groups within my community that didn't like me because i wouldn't cater to the bullshit mm -hmm. and i'm just i'm not going to cater to an environment where you're saying police are doing this just because mm -hmm. no mm -hmm. we're policing behavior and i need you to help hold certain sections of our community accountable as leaders in the community 
to holding people accountable for their actions, mm -hmm. not necessarily guarding them because of the color of their skin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So people well, don't like that. No, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and like, it, it seems like it's a, I say seems, you know, from, from the, from the news, it seems way worse than it probably is, but because they they try to embroil everything in, into 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 this right. massive chaos that you know fear monger people, but um, yeah, I don't know, man. It seems like we have a bunch of people in high positions that are letting criminals go. Yeah, yes. I don't know what to do about that. Like, what do you do yeah. about a DA who just just lets them like I. I like that's not law and order. You guys can do your job all you want, and if the DA puts him back on the street, I have a friend that works in in DC Metro, and uh, he, they had arrested this guy on on gun crime, gun charges because he's a felon, not allowed to have a gun. They arrested him one day, he was out the next day. They arrested him the next day. He got out right. the following day, and then one week later, shot his partner. Yeah, and it's yeah. like. And that's not just one isolated case of a district attorney letting, you know, dangerous people back in the street. Right. It's over and over and over and over. And the way he talked about it, he was like, you know, uh, you know, everybody inside my department is scared to death to raise a bullshit flag on corruption because they know they'll get fired and they need their pension. And most of them have years. He's like me. I got 15 years, man. He's like five yeah. more, five more, 10 more years. I'm done and I have my pension. So what do I do? And I'm like, yeah. man, I don't know. Maybe you're different than me because I, I would do something. I would find, I would write an anonymous article. I would find an anonymous reporter. I would find something and, and do everything in my power yeah. to crush that. Because, yeah. you know, if without law and order, we will descend into chaos is what you're seeing in this country. When you take law and order away yeah. and you infill a bunch of um, criminals, and, and I'm not saying that all of the people coming across the southern border are bad people, but when you come across the southern border illegally, you are a criminal now. You are coming and breaking our laws. And a bunch of them are military-age males without other families, and, and, and then you start putting criminals back on the street over and over and over right. when they've been detained. Right. What do you do about that? Like, what's to come yeah. of that? Yeah. And it's like when I look at California and these New York and all these beautiful cities where, you know, main uh, main developers and, and, and stores and brands are leaving now these places because it's not safe for them and they're losing money because of lawlessness. And it's like, like, how far do we go? How many how, how far do we jump in the casket before we decide that was a bad idea and it's not going to work? Mm -hmm. And I don't know the answer to that. Well, the U.S. is an aircraft carrier, you know, and it takes in, in, in our communities, it takes, you know, you, you don't turn an aircraft carrier quickly, yeah, you know, yeah. and you and, and, and if something falls off, they, you know, I'm not a Navy guy, but but I've, I've got buddies who are and they say they don't stop it. They mm -hmm. send something back to go get it. So it's it's huge. It's this monstrosity. Um, so you're not going to change it in a, in, a, in a moment's notice, but mm -hmm. but from the perspective of of what I would say related to uh, the the crime trends and such, um, sure, if you have a shoplifting mother of four, and she's has an addiction, and she's got caught for the third time shoplifting at Target, and she's stealing Formula One or no, Formula for her for her first kid or her fourth kid, that's different. 
mm-hmm. than if I've got two guys banging it out in downtown Tulsa with street sweepers um, that are trying to hurt each other because we have that problem. And, and a community said, well, Luke, your, your special operations group's coming down hard on this. And I'm like, we're going to smash this mm-hmm. because that group is, I got guys you know, with choppers rolling 60, 70 rounds in the middle of a Friday night trying to kill each other. Well, there's, there's collateral damage there. It's, it's mm-hmm. called other, it's called other people. So that's different. I want to lock those dudes up forever. They don't need to be out. If you're trying to murder, thou shalt not kill. Yeah, being an animal. Um, yeah. But it, but if it, if it, exactly. But if it's animal, let's go, you know, I mean, we're hunting and, you know, but it, man to man, I look at that. Um, and I look at the source of that with that woman that I described and start to say, let's start to figure out, let's start maybe spending a little bit of our money instead of going somewhere else and going out of this country. Let's figure out where the source of some of that is. Well, we know it's it's drug addictions, it's mm-hmm. mental illness, and we can start to begin to implement. Now, the problem is you got the government doing that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how do we make that effective? How do we make, how do we create impact that starts to break that cycle with some of those nonviolent offenders. I think we've swung from let's let's take care of nonviolent offenders to well, let's take care of the moderate offenders. Well, let's take care of the so-so offenders. He hasn't killed anybody, he's just shot a few times. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, you know, and pretty soon you've got um violent people getting out. I mean, that's man, one of the worst cases that I had was a sex offender. Man, they're predators. Mm-hmm. And that dude got out should have not gotten out and two and a half weeks later we're we're in the middle of trying to hunt down a guy that we by the grace of god figured out who he was he had stranger abducted a a kid off a playground with her sister you know two girls two little hispanic girls and the white guy just snatches her off the playground right in front of her sister shoved her in a car and away he goes to create mayhem and and eventually try to kill her when when i found her I found her with a gentleman from another community. I had a whole group out and he and I are going through the thickets and there she is ligature around her neck. Um, we, uh, had caught him and by the grace of God, she's alive, you know? So we were minutes away. So that's not a guy you need to have out. No, he needs to be Um, shot in the head. Probably. I mean, that's just my personal opinion. I'm not a cop. Yeah. That's Um, the guy that that, doesn't need to be around. That needs to stop reproducing. It's a problem. And you know what's <laughs> yes. sickening is that, yeah. you know, you talk about that guy being the problem and he's the, he's this predator, but that's way bigger than we know, way bigger than I knew. A multi-billion right. dollar organiza- institution, right. organization that's making billions of dollars off of selling people, right. slaves of all different colors, mainly underage children. Um, and that, it blows my mind. Um mm-hmm how big of a thing that is across the planet of what I found um, and how that's not on the front page of every paper every day in the United States and, and not have dedicated people just to hunting these animals down. Yeah. I don't understand it. Um, well, out of my, I think I had eight or nine units in my last command division um, in my human trafficking uh, group. Um, these lieutenants would come in and they'd brief me, you know, on their investigations. And, and so I spent a lot of my time brief, getting briefed and making micro adjustments. And, and that unit probably was one of the most dynamic units as far as what they were engaged with, a pure evil. Mm-hmm. Um, you're dealing with hunting, uh, predators who are evasive, 
and who had put up, you know, barriers of, of, of obstructive resistance to your investigations, but um, but intermingled with the drug world and the trafficking world. But when you start to talk about human trafficking, I, it doesn't get any more evil than that. Child, mm. child crimes and human trafficking and taking the weak and exploiting them for money is um, is heading straight south to hell in my mind. A hundred percent. And and that's what would be hard for me. Like I've thought many times about how could I get involved? What could I do? And I don't know that there is anything, but w- one thing I do know is that I'm the wrong person for that. I know that because of the things that I've experiences I've had in other countries and and different things that, that, you know, I would give them that, I would give them that ride uh, to that, to that one way place they were going. If I, if I knew what they had done or seen the aftermath of what they were done, I I think that I would have very, I would hope I wouldn't, but I think that I would struggle with self-control of not, they didn't get like your trials over, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, well, those units, Brian, those units um, are, are child child crimes, um, you know, our human trafficking groups, some of those groups such as those. I'm a big fan. And, and man, I was part of our command staff. I'm a big fan of telling people um, we have to be really, really, really consciously aware in the psychological thought process of where our people are, mm-hmm. because, man, they're they're engaging with a very dark thing mm-hmm. um, in those in those in those investigators of child crimes. Um, in my mind, usually two to three to four years and got to get them out. Yeah. That's what, that's what my next question was going to be is how much psychological damage are these investigators and officers experiencing because of the evil that they are dealing with? Tremendous. A lot of, a lot of PTS, um, and seeing stuff that, 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 and, and probably the, and I wouldn't want to get into it too much. That's the one thing I really couldn't engage in that Mm -hmm. much because it bothered me so much. Um, because you see it and I knew where I came from and you see these kids that get lost in the cycle and before you know it, they just disappear. But my point to that was it, it's, it's merely the stress that they're, that stress that they're engaging in, in the mind is I couldn't do anything about this. Mm-hmm. And now I've been brought aware of four years, six years, eight years of horrible abuse. And then we try with it to pull that kid and then the government and because it's very, you know, incremental and augmented then there were times where they would engage and pull a kid and the next thing you know the kid goes back into the system over here and you figure it's probably happening again so those officers just began to lose faith in in you know their ability to change it mm-hmm. so you can't yeah, yeah. You can't change it not to get too much deeper into it but um Ashton Kutcher is really involved in that. Somebody who is an actor involved in Hollywood yes. and then kind of falls off of the Hollywood scene and then I realized that it's because he's going after these people with, with software and with different stuff. And um, he addressed Congress last year, or maybe it was at the beginning of this year, about a new tool that he'd come up with and about how serious this is. And um, he, he mentioned the foster care uh, service being a cesspool of corruption and maybe the number one place the United States government should start when they want to slow trafficking. Mm-hmm. Why, I, with all the oversight and how hard it is to get, you know, if you know, like if you want to adopt a child, how hard it is to adopt a child. How does that happen? Is it like what you're I mean, saying? They lose them. They just lose track. Well, it's it's well. Part of it is this, and I and I'm I'm not an expert in this, so I wouldn't. And it and it may have changed, but part of my understanding of it was that, you know, the kids get moved, so. 
Um, so there's a frequency rate. And that's something when you talk to the psychologist on that side, which I love the people working with our foster kids. Like I'm, I've got a couple nonprofits that one of them is, is a, is a, is a company that basically a small company that basically says, we got you, um, to the kids, but they're also ministering to the families. So you got to start to attack it at the spot where there could be the potential for abuse. And the abuse is if you get kid number one and kid number one gets moved and six or seven years, five or six times, how do we tell on those five or six times where the frequency might've been where he was molested or she was molested? And it's hard to track that. And I think that that system has a propensity to move them because mm-hmm. they don't want to keep them in the same spot forever. But the kids are getting shuffled around like a bag of groceries. Mm-hmm. Um, at what point do you not know when a couple apples come in out of the bag, you know, and you just don't know. It's still a brown bag of groceries. It just moves along. Um, and it's not talking, it's not communicating, it's just going darker into a hole. And then at some point, when you look in the bag six, seven years down the road, you realize half the groceries are gone. Well, those are frequencies of interaction with people along the way. And it's hard to tell. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not trying, you can't see it. You can't look through the bag. You don't know what's in there. So mm-hmm. there's got to be a better way to intersect with the kids. <clears throat> it's a huge problem. Um, <clears throat> but I think you begin to minister and work with the families and maybe hold more of a, a more of a tutorial and start to get that. But I'm a huge fan of, of groups that are going after the foster system. Yeah. And this is the first nonprofit that I engaged with that said, we're not ministering as much to the kids. We're ministering to the families. <laughs> because if you bring a family in and the family says, hey, we want to be a foster. But then they get the kid and they're like, well, what are we supposed to do with him? He's a, he's a four-year-old. Well, what do they do? I don't know. I don't have kids. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're thinking and I don't, you know, well, what we're doing is we're saying, okay, that, that company is saying, Hey, take that family and you go over with those seven families, their sounding board. So I can call you, Hey Ryan, man, I just got this four-year-old and I don't know what to do. Oh, you do this, you do that, you do this. Almost okay, like man. a sponsor or a mentor. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and that seems to be working and that group then becomes cultural and, and very guarded with different families. And they realize that family over there is not really engaging. Maybe there's some issues and the kids mm-hmm. acting up. Now mm-hmm. they have a, a different way to start to see behind the curtain mm-hmm. and see if maybe that family, plus there's money involved. Yeah, There's money involved, you know? So yeah. yeah, where the money is, is uh, usually where the corruption begins to happen. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but it, it Kutcher's, Kutcher's good stuff. I think, I think the human trafficking side is, is scarier than people think. Um, you know, the stuff coming across the border, mm. you know, there's, when you see a lot of these people coming across, I heard that on the Sean Ryan show, but they're coming across the border in a certain section. Yeah. The younger girls are not. Well, that's because the cartel wants to double down and make more money selling them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm hearing that, but it would not surprise me if there's money to be made. Oh, no doubt. Those, those idiots, they would do it. No doubt. I've looked into some of the cartel and they got like tier systems. You have this much money, we'll take you through the, you know, the okay path and you might get caught and you might get raped on the way or whatever. You got this much money, we're going to take you through, you know, a little bit more secure of a path. Uh, and probably the coyotes, if there's women, they're still going to get get hurt and, and abused. And then you have people like, you know, let's say Al Qaeda or ISIS or the Taliban who have insurmountable amount of you know they have a great amount of money that they could do and they're like we want to infiltrate and then maybe go through tunnels and you get guided and you you know and so there's different levels of this and the cartel you know the cartel is making their money all the way along the way 
And then part of me wonders if they're not paying some people to come over, <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, you know, who yeah. knows? So, um, yeah, yeah. I hope that we get that figured out. Um, and, and because yeah. look, I, I have nothing against the Mexican people, Guatemalan, anybody from South of the border. And if you're running from oppression, you know, give me your weak, give me your weary. Uh, but you got to do it the right way. Yeah. And for the biggest reasons yeah. is a, a for safety. Okay. For safety. Uh, but be like every single immigrant that nationalized or naturalized the right way and stood in line and did the tests. All the government is doing by not stopping this flow is slapping every one of them in the face and saying, yeah, right. it didn't really matter. You should just come this way. You know, you're going to get the same thing right. out of it. And that, that to me is an issue. And I think it's an issue to most Americans. Let's be honest. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's among the top things that, that voters in this next, you know, election are looking at. So, well, it, it, you buy a house, <clears throat> you just mentioned you bought a house. I buy a house. My house isn't open to the public. It's my house. You, you work to get certain things. That's what this country is about. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and people have always said, well, have you, you know, as a black guy growing up and I'm like, I'm an American, let's, and I, I'm not a big fan of the African Americans. I understand you know, the ethnicity, mm -hmm. but you know, I've, I've challenged a lot of times people with Africa and well, the country of Africa, mm, no, it's an actual continent. <laughs> um, it's a continent and there's a bunch of countries there, but be proud of America first, seek to understand your ethnicity and where you came from second. Mm. But uh, I go back to it. it. It's my house. You don't just, you don't have the option to come in and just hang out in my living room just because you feel like, you know, it was cold outside and you were oppressed outside. Mm. I love the idea of people coming here, but you got to do it the right way. You got to go through the process. It may not be easy, um, but I think it, it, it completely waters down the value of this country um, and the safety. I mean, you guys provided our freedom. Um, first responders provide our safety. Those are two things that are critical and you are hundred percent correct. Americans, even though they would say they're they're they want people here, do you really? Without unaccounted for, do you really want to bring ten thousand people in and you don't know who's who and what's yeah. what? Um, and it's all fun and games until somebody in that group then violates something close to you, and then all of a sudden you're like, we got to make a difference. Yeah, um, I think yeah, it's, it's real like... clear. No, go ahead. go ahead. You know, it's real clear. I mean, I saw it in Israel just recently. Yeah. Um, when the, when the borders are compromised and there's not the ability to have a lawful way of doing things in a process, um, we saw what happened. Carnage. Um, there's carnage and it's lawlessness and people get hurt and things are created and actions are made that will never allow people to come back the same way. That, mm -hmm. that has forever changed the face of that, that relationship 100%. with the Israelites and the Palestinians and probably more branching out from there. Yeah, it's scary. And that's another thing that, that like your your college student liberal American isn't thinking about is like look outside. Like look outside this country and look at the globe as as we know it right now. It is tilting further into chaos every single day. And well, you just wanna love everybody, you just wanna let everybody in, just love everybody and it doesn't matter. You will reap that. You will reap the consequences of those actions. And they don't know that. You know, that they, they just don't know. And people, people that have like yourself that have seen the streets and seen evil for what evil is and people like, you know, myself and Matt and anybody else that went over and seen evil for what evil was, you come back with a level of awareness. Um, and, and the American people, 
they haven't been hit in a while. There's a bit of complacency. Um, and God knows I do not want to get hit. I love this country, but it is time to wake up before everything around us starts folding, you know? Um, right. That's just, that's just my angle on it. And it's, it's not a political angle. It's just like a, the state of the world and, and let's, you know, let's be cautious and, you know, cautiously skeptical about the things we see in here. Um, but let's get past that. Um, I didn't mean to deep dive into that too much, but I felt like it was almost necessary. <laughs> um, yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. I'm loving it on this side. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, talk, talk about your professional career that led you to be where you are now after, I mean, I've, you've already <laughs> talked about, you know, being a police officer and, um, and working, working that side of things. How do you end up at Folds of Honor working for an yeah. organization that's helping Gold Star families? Um, <clears throat> So I, you know, you realize uh, that it was the right move being in, in law enforcement and, and and going through the special operations side and being in SWAT and being on, on, on the, you know, you know, people say the tip of the spear, but, but engaging in that environment, um, I began to understand that there's there, there, there's there's the critical moments. But then there's the moments after the critical moments that are so significantly longer, uh, obviously. I mean, you, you know, the book, you guys had you guys had that moment, those moments. Um, but then it's the legacy of life after that, that that I began to sort of understand. And, I, and I'm a big book reader and 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 I'm sort of nerdy like that. I want to know mm -hmm. if, if there's a, if there's an issue I want to if I see something, I'll research it. I'll start to read and, and I want to know the angles to it. Um, you send me a text that's one dimensional. I read a book. It's multidimensional. I talk to you. It's very multidimensional. There's mm -hmm. much more to it. There's much more dimensions. And I like that. And so as I went through my career, um, I began to realize that there was more to it than, than, than just a career. It was the ripple effect, as I call it, when you touch the water, Hey, that's great. That might be an incident. That might be an arrest. That might be a big investigation. But what happens mm -hmm. after that? And and I always sort of wondered what happens to the families. I always thought when we take a a, a, a bad guy out of a house that's a notoriously bad bad guy, <laughs> and he has two younger brothers. Excuse me, and they're off to the side looking at us. We're creating. Yeah, he's arrested for a homicide, and and two shootings and and two guns that we get him with, but those brothers are now the battlefield of where we're going to go. If we treat him with respect and engage them and where I'm going with that, Ryan is, or are we going to see them? Mm -hmm. And most likely, most often in, in our line of work, whoa, we're justified. We're arresting him. We're talking stern to those two. Those two will be playing with us in about two or three years. Mm -hmm. And they have rage because of what we've done to their brother, even though they don't understand it. Right. <clears throat> the same thing applies with critical incidents where we lose somebody. And I remember, and the story to me um, was I engaged with Dan, Colonel Dan Rooney, many years ago. Uh, I've got my own security company, and we brought, we came in together, um, and I, he hired me to do some security for them and to provide security at the Patriot Cup as they were starting to ramp up. Mm -hmm. um, so I brought in a group to do that, and we formed a friendship there. Fast forward to 2022, that was 2014, 2012. Um, 2022, he engaged me. We go back and forth, and he engaged me to ask for my advice and consult to to expand. He was looking to expand from the military into the first responder mm -hmm. and bring in that family. 
which is a touchy subject for some folks. Um, but we looked at it and thought, and, and I had told him this many years ago, I said, hey, brother, we spill blood, it's just in different mud. You take care of me and give me freedom, I'm taking care of you and giving you safety here. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, we were challenging the other side. We were just looking and saying they're, they're, they're parallel lanes. These are American heroes cruising along, putting their business on the line, saving each other, uh, dragging people out of the firefight, but uh, not comparing what the military does to our law no. enforcement or firefighters, but similar roles of I'm putting my life in service for my for my country. 100%. And, a lot of people might want to split hairs about that, but it's the same people. Archetypically, those same. are the same people, and a lot of times they come 100%. off the battlefield and go into that profession. Right. I mean, um, right. I have, yeah, dude, there's, there, I don't see it differently. Right. I don't see it. Without it's, one, you're not going to have the other anyway. Right. And so that's, so that began the process. <clears throat> and I had 30 years and, and, and I joked with him, we're friends. And I said, why don't I just retire and come work for you? Um, and it made sense. But, uh, but a couple of years before that, and I think I might've told you, I just, uh, you know, four class A funerals, um, a couple, and this is another one I'll get into, but, um, and those were people that died in the line of duty that were close. But then you had, uh, man, you had suicides as well. Mm-hmm. So, and and I look at those situations and I say, okay, we're all in our class A's. I've got my captain's hat with the goofy stuff on the top of it. And everybody gets there and it's all prim and proper. We're giving respect as we should to that family and that individual who we lost. But I've always thought different. I've always thought, okay, what happens two hours after we all leave? Mm-hmm. You know, what happens the next day for her mm-hmm. and those three kids? Who, who's got their back, you know? Where are they supposed to go? I can't imagine if mm. I lost my wife, you know, and I had to look at my four kids and say, okay, where are we going without her? Yeah, She's, right. you know, and I didn't really get that, but I'm a bike rider. I'm a mountain bike rider. And to clear my head, I'd put my headphones on, my, my AirPods, and I'd ride around downtown Tulsa on Sundays before the week of work. It's purely spiritual. Just want to ride. I want to look at everything. And it's a cool downtown. There's some vibrant stuff. I remember stopping at this outdoor theater and watching these girls. It was like six or seven girls doing this theater kind of dance. I couldn't hear them because I had my, but I, but it was just to see life and feel life. And I mm-hmm. rode around and I stopped one day and this was three, three or four years before the folds. And I stopped on this, in this, against a building of a buddy of mine that owns this building and there's a plaque. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you gotta be kidding me. And it's a plaque in honor of one of my friends, he was older than me on the apartment that was shot in that alley, then gentrification, one of the buildings was gone. So it was a parking lot, but it was the alley where Dick was shot and killed by an armed robber. And they had to go down the alley, he's a canine officer. And the guys that, heroes of mine, went toe to toe with the devil. His dog was over him. He had been shot and ambushed from the side, looking, he's a canine. And they went toe to toe and dispatched this turd, but they but they had to figure out how to get the dog off of him, mm-hmm. and he was mortally wounded, and and he ended up passing away. Mm. But that was a plaque to Dick, and <clears throat> so that was the end of my ride every every Sunday was come to the plaque, touch the plaque, say I love you, brother. But I always thought, and then it dawned on me, where the heck and what the heck? That was nineteen ninety six, ninety seven. Where just what what happened to his family? Mm-hmm. You know, we honored him with pride. I mean, they brought the dog in to the to the funeral 
Um, the dog went down to the casket. Honor guard guys, like military, we learned that from you all. They're completely uh, haven't moved in two hours, mm-hmm. and the casket's there. All the SWAT guys are there. We're all class eight up, and his family comes in last. Reverent moment. I get it. I love it. That's what we should do. It's our final piece to our brother. Mm-hmm. And then they brought in his partner. That dog came down to that casket and started whimpering, circled that casket, could probably smell him. In a way, he'd probably been embalmed, but still could smell parts of him. Mm-hmm. Circled, put his put his paw like pawed at the casket. And I and that just that's a memory I'm telling you about. So when I saw that plaque, I thought it was so poignant to me back then. Where's it at now? And and that's sort of the iteration of pushing me in that direction of having that in my mind. Then fortuitously through God and those things that just sort of align up, mm-hmm. I bump into Dan, and Dan says, "Hey, let's 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 talk about this expansion." And I thought, "Let's just go." Yeah, let's just go. I, I let's go, and that's where I'm at. That's how it happened. <laughs> and so, now you're here. <laughs> oh man, got me got me in my feelings yeah, with the, that. I've seen the, the pictures dog, of that actually. Yeah, the dog deal hurt a lot um, because you realize, man. We're not messing around. Mm. Even this dog gets it. Mm-hmm. And um, and you know, I I wonder to this day, you know, what happened to that m- mama and that family. Yeah. Um, you know, and and Americans don't. You two do. You know, because you bury brothers. Um, but people don't understand that. And I think that that's the that's the side of me that my psychologist side. You know, that psychology side where I, in my mind is. I want to get into a room with a bunch of people and talk about it and say, okay, let's start hammering on these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, let's seek to understand each other's minds and why we're, why we're, where we are at. But uh, heroes bury um, our, 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 our brothers and sisters, but the public doesn't know, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. public doesn't know where we go and what we do and, and how we do it. So that sort of gets you to how I got to the fold. My military backside, I'm not military but that side of me was that NTOA was this integration of those two groups, mm-hmm. you know, you know, where we, I did, I did do some training in Jordan. I did do some training with some air force PJs and, 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 and some of the other groups and some forward groups with the air force and all the acronyms. It's hard for me to understand them unless you're in them. Us too. Um, <laughs> yeah. Where's but, the uh, but you on? sort of kind of see the, you sort of kind of see the similarities at a younger age. And I started to mature into, man, these are, these are just my brothers in different uniform. Yep. That's right. You know, doing what we can for this country. So, so can you talk a little bit about, unless you're living under a rock, you probably don't know, you probably know what Folds of Honor does, but for those people that do live under a rock and have internet service to watch this, yeah. explain, give them, give them your, 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 you know, five minute. Sure. Pitch on, sure. on what Folds of Honor does, who it takes care of, how it does that, and mm-hmm. uh, let them know. I'll do my best to tell the front side of the story, and then I'll cruise through it. Dan, Dan is an Air Force uh, pilot, um, and uh, I think three combat tours, and he's coming back to Michigan. He's got two home spots, and the pilot of the plane basically says, "Hey, everybody, um, if you'll just hold before you get off the plane, they're up in Michigan." Uh, and he notices this yeah, a Marine in class A's, um, you know, his battle. I, I don't know how they call it class A's or battle dress or his finest. Mm-hmm. And then he realizes this guy is, is bringing back the remains of his brother, mm-hmm. his brother, not a brother, but his actual blood brother. 
And um, Dan's watching this thing and he looks out and you can see them, you know, unloading the casket and uh, draping the flag. And and uh, Dan looks around and realizes half the plane's deboarded. Hmm. Um, people in a hurry to get home, but uh, don't have the decency to wait for somebody who did what they did. And that family, and that's where I'm at. The, the guy did his service, but man, his family is, is in the darkest moment of their life trying to come out of this thing. And they're just receiving the remains yeah. that have come back. I can't imagine. I got two sons. I got four blended. I cannot imagine as a father with one of my sons waiting for the remains of my other one. Um, and it would be rage if I knew that people didn't want to wait. Yeah, but that's neither here nor there. And Sudan forms in 2007 and forms in a garage in Broken Arrow, just down the road from our office, <clears throat> to begin to say, okay, how can I carry this? These are soldiers. These are heroes. Let's carry their legacy. Well, the legacy of us is our children. Mm -hmm. And he starts to move this thing forward by saying, how can I carry momentum? How can I reestablish momentum initiative to say, let's go? And that begins the journey of the folds. <clears throat> and our numbers are different now. 51,000 scholarships, $240 million wow. um, pushed toward those kiddos and spouses. So if a, if a dude gets wiped out and his spouse says, I've, I've got to reacquire focus and target on something new, we'll help that spouse as well with scholarships on, and those gold stars. Um, and, and they push them through tutoring and through counseling and through um, some of the things such as like um, trade schools. It's not just higher education where a guy's got to be a doctor. If it's a kid that says, you know what, my dad just got wiped out and I want to be a, a welder. Um, they apply and they begin to go through that process. And the Folds provides monies from American companies and philanthropics um, to put that money into the, into, we won't hand it to the families. We say, okay, Luke, you got two kids. Those kids are going to Dartmouth and one's going to trade school. Show us the information. There's an application process and the money when they're awarded goes toward helping pay uh, $5,000 a year toward those kids. You can't pay for the whole thing, but if a kid's a legacy kid and he comes through three or four or five or six years, man, that helps a ton for that, for that mama or that daddy who's by themselves. Yeah. To say my child had five years of the folds recipient scholarships. That's a lot of money. Yeah. I can actually um, speak to, um, I can actually speak to a couple of my friends that actually use the folds um, you know, qualified for the folds and, and their kids go to, um, like a private school, not necessarily private, but it's a monastery. Uh, it's just mm -hmm. a little bit different, you know, than, than the public school system, their tactics and stuff are different. Um, and it, and it's just made a world of difference for, for those, you know, particular couple of families to be able to get that right. scholarship to help towards getting their kids, you know, that better education right. or, or, you know, just, just a more maybe convenient to them, whatever it is, it's helping them, uh, with mm. that, but you know, financially <clears throat> and, and psychologically. So, um, I've been seeing you guys do, doing work and, and, uh, Dave and, um, uh, been watching the commercials and donating. Um, what you guys do over there is, 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 is amazing. Um, thank you. Yeah, I can't, I, I can't be on board enough with that company and with that, uh, with that system, uh, and with everybody that, that like yourself, that is a part of that engine, making that work, making that run. Right. Cause I know that stuff's not easy. Um, and what I do love about it is that it is coming from American companies out of the, you know, generosity of their heart, their patriotism, nationalistic pride that swells. Mm -hmm 
to say, yep, I agree with that story. And I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and help these people. It's amazing. Yes. It's, uh, it's tough when you have, when you have that amount of money um, and you've got, you know, we have a staff, but we're proud to say, and, and it's, we're hovering right in, in between 91 cents and 90 cents on the dollar out of that $240 million has gone yeah, toward yeah. families. And, and I think, uh, you know, I'm a proof in the pudding person. If I'm going to give you 10 bucks, I want to know where's that 10 bucks going. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't need to know if it's going into a Ferrari or a vacation for a staff member. Um, I need to know where it's going. And so that's a big one for me when I'm talking to the bigger businesses that I go to and, you know, a Harley or, or, uh, you know, I mean, some of our partners, you know, Coke and Yeti and, and Delta and Frontier and Southwest and Budweiser and Anheuser-Busch, and you go right down the list of the big companies um, and they're there and there's some big energy companies as well. But that's a big question, you know, a CEO is going to hit you with is, you know, if I'm looking at engaging you in this because I've got you know, an energy company in Oklahoma that's got a ton of veterans, cool story about them. 40 some years in the business, they've never had an American flag. So this CEO, who's a friend of mine said, I want to put an American flag up in front of our building. And he, and he said, that's the least I can do for the, you know, 400 some veterans that work here. And the, the swell of pride came back into that company wow. because the veterans said, Oh, hell yeah. Hmm. You know, I, I spill blood for that thing. And this guy is not a veteran, but he has pride in our country yeah, there's, yeah. Where, where certain people would be like, hey, I don't do that. It's unpopular now. Yeah, yeah. Leave. You can leave the country. This We, we still fly red, white, and blue here. But, That's right. Yeah. But I think it's, um, you know, it's been tough. Um, there's been some, some journey, but we're starting to move fast. There's 32 chapters. So those chapters are spread around. When I met you, um, I had basically, you know, we're flirting with some stuff in that area, mm-hmm. but, um, but it was one of those situations where I was engaged, uh, to come see op five. And that's sort of a different wrinkle for me, but, um, we had, we were dealing with Daniel defense, mm-hmm. Daniel defense mm-hmm. was, was, was working with us to try to provide some funds. And I told Joe, I said, Hey, let's just go. I'll, where are you going? And he goes, I'm going to this deal op five. And I said, what is it? So my wife and I flew down there and got a chance to come out and just hang out with American heroes. Mm, uh-huh. um, and, uh, you know, people would say, well, what are you going down there for, man? Nothing other than to give, you know, a little bit of swag and <laughs> and just let people know, let our heroes know there's there's resources out there. Um, you know, big one that we haven't touched on yet that I hope eventually the fold starts to engage with is maybe getting philanthropics to begin to provide counseling. Hmm. obviously through anonymity, but, and when working with some of the bigger companies or some of the bigger, more trustworthy groups to provide counseling for, and the military knows it, the military has been doing it for a while, at least in certain regards, but law enforcement and our firefighters and our paramedics are in a war zone too. It's just a different one. And they do need to have a, a, you know, I've lost more police officers in my career on my job to suicide than to than to being engaged by bad guys yeah same for me um, i've lost more people out yeah. of country than in yeah so and, that and that mo- most veterans is, that yeah. i talk to say the same mm-hmm. thing um it's, yeah it's a sad it's, reality it's, and nobody cares we do but the public doesn't care they're just well you guys you guys went and i heard it on saturday said you know you guys went to war and came back and it's just well whatever man that's just part of no it's not that's that's not you know if they went to war and they came back 
Um, and then we owe them a debt of gratitude. In my mind, we're indebted to that person for the rest of their lives. That's the way I look at it. Hmm. You serve me. And if a person comes back and the person's trying to wrap their mind around, they had three really close friends and they're gone in a moment, man, we owe them. We don't need to forget that and walk away from that. So I think the same applies. You know, I shouldn't say nobody cares. There's a lot of Americans mm. that don't care. There's a ton of us that do, and I'm going to make a lot of noise about it. And if people don't like it, they that's fine. You, you're not going to make my coffee taste any different. Yeah. If you tell me you don't like me, uh, I don't really care. Um, I got, I'm 53, lived two thirds of my life. The last third, I'll live it unapologetically as a proud person that served his country in a, in a certain way. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's, so that's, that's what the company does. It's committed to our page. We do stuff like $13 uh, every month. Um, the 13 is significant for us because it's the folded flag hmm. and people say, well, that's a bad number. And I'm said, no, that's a hallowed number. Yeah. When we fold that flag with 13 folds um, and bring a soldier home or, 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 or put a, a firefighter, uh, to rest and hand that flag that 13 folds had. And people don't know that, right? Mm -hmm. People don't know that the folded flag has 13 folds and they have symbolic issue and reason. It came from the military and, mm -hmm. and they didn't just make it up. And I think when people start to get that, they start to understand there's dynamic here. Yes, we'll bury that person with honor and pride, but the mission is moving forward with the family and carrying the legacy so we don't lose momentum. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's that's beautifully put. I can't even. I'm not even gonna add to it. That's that's right where how it should be. Well, yeah. what have I not talked to you about that you wanted to talk about? Uh, you know, it's uh, it's interesting, and I appreciate uh, appreciate the opportunity. It's you know, I, coming from the first responder side, uh, the numbers are staggering. Um, 100%. Our military, and by the way, thank you for what you two have done for me and for my family to keep us safe. Uh, um, by the way, I'm I'm cruising through your book, and uh, uh, hope you like it. And I do, and but I'm but I'm uh, I have to stop at times and put it down because I I want to process it. Mm -hmm. I just want to read a book, say I read a book. Mm -hmm. I want to I want to read it and sort of feel it and process. And so I'm cruising through it. But uh, it. thank you for that. But it's. Uh, you know, even on the home front here, there's, you know, there's two, over 2 million first responders. Yeah, that's, I think people that's what people need to realize that. is that the first responder mm -hmm. community is four times what the military is minimum. Uh, I know those are old numbers, but it's four times the amount of PTS and, uh, and even TBI issues from accidents and explosions for firefighters inside. My, my grandfather was a firefighter and he got blown out of a house by a propane tank going off and, you know, he would laugh about it and, you know, strike another cigarette up and tell a story. But the amount of damage that that probably did to his brain, you know, I don't know. That's a, you know, a pretty concussive blow and to get blown out of a building. And, you know, right. I got, you know, I've been have struggling with brain issues myself and a lot of my guys that, you know, were downrange with us. And uh, those kind of injuries are happening all the time in America. Um, and not to mention the, this, the moral and psychological issues that come to firefighters and first responders, you know, uh, highway patrol and sheriffs, 
constables all the same when they're going in and helping Americans that have been in car accidents and helping Americans that have had tragedy strike and they have to go in there and they have to see that just like your guys uh, mm-hmm. work, work in trafficking. You have to go right. and contend with evil too in America. And, um, and we can't forget soon forget those people because without, without a, a nation of, of, of laws and law and order, we will descend into chaos mm-hmm. as we said earlier. And and so we got it. Yeah. I love I love that you guys are helping helping them as well. Two million. Um, there I'll give you their numbers. There's eight hundred thousand gun toters. I call them hose draggers. There's one point <laughs> three million hose draggers. Here's a startling thing about firefighters, and I love my firefighters. Um, eight hundred thousand of the one point three are volunteers, but they're dying too. Mm-hmm. So you have a banker, or you have a you know, a shop owner in, in California that says, you know what, the Santa Ana fire, the winds constantly are here. I'm going to, I'm going to learn to be a firefighter volunteer and I'm going to help my community. Well, mm-hmm. the fire doesn't discriminate. Right. Um, so, and they're getting wiped out too. And then you've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of several hundred thousand paramedics and EMTs. I'll give you the frequencies, 240 million calls a year, 911 trouble unknowns and situations, 660,000 calls a day mm-hmm. is what our American uh, first responders are engaging with, which a ton of those are violent, unknown environments. So like you're saying, um, they handle it. It's their job. They're built to do it. But the generations coming into this are getting indoctrinated and just absolutely washed with, man, I'm a brand new kid. And and man, what is this stress that I'm dealing with every day? Mm-hmm. Um, and Americans just expect it to just be normal because that's the way a lot of Americans are. They don't see it, won't be it. Uh, don't experience it, don't care about it. Out of sight, out of mind. Um, out of sight, out of mind, but 660,000 calls since we've been on this call. You know, <laughs> yeah. how many, you know, it's we broke down one over an hour. Well, divide that by 660 by 20, 24. It's, it's a ton. Um, but And military members are still going through things. They're still coming back and, and there's still stuff happening. Three Marines killed, you know, in a training accident a couple months ago. Um, but I, but I even go past just the activations and, and on point, we've got a ton of, of brothers and sisters coming home. We can't forget that. You can't just say, Hey, thank you for your service. I don't like that word. Hmm. Um, and I tell you why I've got a dear friend who's in an airport and somebody came up to him. He's trying to process and come back when he's traveling somewhere. He's been over in the theater, the war theater, where he's seen his brothers and sisters killed and somebody comes up who's an unknown. I get it. Thank you for doing that, whoever that person was. But they say thank you for your service, and 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 he turns and he's talking to me. He's re- reliving the moment, and he says, "That just took me back to the last two weeks before I left, and I watched one of my brothers get killed." Mm-hmm. And so he goes, "I understand why the civilian did it, but he goes, it, it brought me back to the trauma." So when I see a service member in an airport, um, and I love him, I'll come up and say, "Welcome home," mm-hmm. uh, because to me. Man, home is home is Thanksgiving. Home's pumpkin pie. Home's where you're at, where I'm at. If we're enjoying each other's fellowship and in the holidays or a Fourth of July, that's home. Mm. So I don't want to. I don't want to. I I get it. I don't want to. I'm telling that brother or sister, I love you. I know who you are, and I'll tell that to service members as far as first responders too. I will come up and say thank you for what you're doing um, and keeping us safe. But welcome home is what I tell service members in the airport because 
Sure, sure. And I, I, I have a bit of a different take on that. And it's not to take yeah. away from, from that service member that, that had trouble. Um, right. If you're a service member that's struggling and you're just coming home and it was saucy, man, you're, you're going to be in, in a different spot and you're going to look at things uh, from a different perspective and a much fresher perspective. But I would say this, I would say that civilian and the amount of courage that that person had to muster Agreed. to come up to a complete unknown stranger and Agreed. then thank him for something that they have no clue about. They have no clue. Right. Um, I've heard guys say, you know, don't, you don't think me, you know, you're, you're thinking me, you don't even know what you're thinking me. You don't know what I had to do, but it's like, uh, or, or you, what are you thinking me for? You know, I got buddies that right. died over there and it's like, so right. who did, so who do they think then? Who do they right. pass on their great gratitude point. to? Great point. For your buddy that's dead, because they can't tell him. They don't know him. They've never seen him. And here you are as a representative and an ambassador yeah. of your service. And this person, you know, be it that they're a little old lady or that they're, you know, a 15, 16 year old kid that aspires to go do that one day, had to possess the courage to come up to you and say, yes. I know nothing about what you did, but thank you for. Yeah. You know, I, I track with you. I think it's, I think that's really solid sage perspective on it for being there. Um, and, and that is there, there's another dimension, like we talked yeah, about before yeah, yeah. where man, it's a dimension of somebody saying that and coming up to a person and doing that. Um, and I would say, you know, publicly to anybody in the continental United States, don't forget them. Um, and yeah, I guess and, that's what I'm saying. That's their way. Know, their only way that they know yeah. of to, to like, to say that, like, who do you say yeah. it to? Who, who yeah. do you, who do you say thank yeah. you to if it, if it's not the people, you know, coming home? So got a little emotional yeah. there, but no, I love it. I love it. And that's, uh, and I will apply that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I'll make my adjustment. And maybe my I, adjustment. I'm not saying you have to, I'm just saying no, the I, amount I, of courage really that do. it takes yeah. for a civilian to not yeah. understand that. And to say, you know, to, to have that, to say, thank you. And, you know, as, <laughs> as Marines and, and soldiers and sailors, it's a laughing, like that's a brunt of a joke a lot of times. Hey, thank you for your service, you know? Yeah. But that's between us. And, and for somebody to actually say that, you know, I, I talk about purpose a lot. And like the purpose I got from from giving to complete strangers, you know, that right. I'll never meet, right. that I'll never see, that I'll never know me. Um, that's part of that. And so when somebody comes up yeah. that you don't know and says, thank you, that's the way I feel it. And like, yeah, you think me, but you're thinking him and him and him, you know, right. so, yeah. So that's no, what good. I would say to service yeah. members. And it's really good. That's a solid piece because you are hundred percent correct. When I'm talking to my buddy, many was raw. Well, and he was in a and, place where he was fresh and, yeah, and it was, was hurting coming. and yeah. he wasn't yeah. Yeah. in a position to look at that comment or that gratitude from the right space. And that's what I was saying. Right. When you're first home, man, when I was first home, if somebody told me, thank you, I don't know what I would have done. You know, uh, thank right. you for your service. You know, I, I, I would hope that I'd say, yeah, you're welcome. Thank, you know, that's what I would hope that I would do. Right. But if I'm home and I'm sitting in the airport and the only thing I'm thinking about is the last images I saw of my friends. And then somebody says, thank you. Yeah. You could be in a bad spot and just be like, oh, now I'm all, all I'm thinking about it. You know, I understand that. Yeah. I still think you need to say thank you. If that's well, what you we, feel like you're possessed to do and you're, you have that inclination, you need to do it. Yeah. 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 You can't do it. And if it's, if it's missed, and I've always said this to my two sons, engage in the conversation. And if it's, if it's taken the wrong way or misconstrued, 
or you know your intent is always what what matters right you 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 did try to reach out and if and i've always told that to him i said if you're trying to talk to your brother about something and he snaps at you be good with it you know it's it's the it's the it's the spiritual thing give uh, exercise forgiveness hey i tried to reach on that but i'm just i get it and uh, absolutely and if you're uh, that veteran sitting there and you hear that before you make that knee-jerk reaction and just be like what well, you don't even know what you're talking about or can you believe this guy or whatever uh think think about everybody's going through shit first of all they don't know what you're going through. They have no clue right. what your what your job was, but you are the ambassador of something that they hold high, something that they know right. they need to say thank you for. And if it's your buddy, say thank you. I'll pass that on. You know, and that mm-hmm. try to do that, and then you can have your meltdown later. Because if you snap on that person, that is going to completely distort the image that that person had of that service and of that gratitude and of that for the rest of their life maybe they never say thank you again for somebody even though they're thankful for it um yeah and 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 being an ambassador of your service you need to be an ambassador of your service not an ambassador of yourself um i saw that in a restaurant uh just this week and there's four officers and we were sitting off to the side my wife and i and in a big table and a lot of people in this restaurant a mexican restaurant and and the gentleman, the two young guys are walking by uniforms, heading back to their table. And the gentleman stops what he's saying at the table and says, hey, thank you. Thank you for your service and reaches out a hand to, to grab. And the officer sort of reaches out like and grabs it and just sort of keeps. Yeah. Yeah. And just keeps going. The entire place watched it. Mm-hmm. And and I, I turned to my wife and we're sitting on the same side of the bench. And I said, man, look at that. I said, man, he didn't even take the time to stop look the guy in the eye and say thank you and acknowledge um, that yeah and and you could tell that the table was like oh did we say something wrong here you know mm-hmm. did we interject and i and it was disappointing to me there was a young and old officers this was a young young officer but he was it was almost like he was embarrassed a little bit mm-hmm. and i you know i've done that people people have seen me on the first 48 which is the show and 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 people have seen me in the airport and stuff and we'll come back and say you got to take the time um, and I'm in a different spot, so I can say thank you very much for mm-hmm. for saying that to me. But I'm but if I look at that. it, if I look at it from the young officer's perspective, yeah. At this time in America, you're selflessly yeah. going out to protect your community, and everybody shits on you. Yeah. And then what? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you're gonna be in that almost that defensive like defensive. Like, are yeah. you trying to? Do right. something like, you know what I mean? And I'm not saying it's right. Me. I'm just saying, yeah, you should probably <laughs> acknowledge those people and understand like something that we would say is in a coin operation. If I shit on the community and I don't, you know, and I don't yeah. interact and I don't go out there and I don't get with them, they will be turned against me. If I oh, go yeah. out and I do something bad to them and others see yeah. it, they will be turned against me in a coin environment yeah. overseas. You're doing the same thing in Chicago. You go out and yeah. you go out and treat people like a strong arm them. And there's people who, yeah. there who don't care. And that will come after you. Um, yeah. You can make yeah. it a more dangerous place. And I'm not necessarily saying that, but if you want your atmospherics to be positive in your community, you should go about that a different way, you know, yeah. uh, for those young officers. It's like but, those two brothers I talked about early, you know, we, we snatch and grab, big brother for a crime and pull him out of a house there's 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 a vacuum yep um in 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 i didn't have that vacuum but i we had a community outreach group and i'd say you that's your job go in and mend mend a little bit we just destroyed and wiped out the guy because that's my job is to go out and find him and 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 deal deal a blow on him and, and yank him 
But I said, we're, we're missing the point if we don't try to interface with that family in some yep. capacity be, yep. because it's a vacuum we're creating. So I love it. I love it. 100%. Well, it's, uh, it's been an honor. Yeah. The, the folds is, is cruising forward. It's, uh, it's a blessing to work there and, and, um, we're, we're touching hearts and minds. I think this year we gave out, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 12,500 scholarships just went out. Um, and I think we awarded uh, 9,500 of those so far. Uh, there's a ton of money involved in that, but, uh, it's neat to see some of the some of the stories of some of the kids and and we've got a, a whole group that follows the journeys where are they now it's type stuff and it's neat to see some of the kids starting to get through college and and coming out into the professional world and and coming back as speakers yeah. that have the ability to say man my dad got wiped out he's an air force guy in a training environment and i was 12 years old and now i'm a college graduate and going to med school hmm. um that's, that's beautiful good. you know that's good stuff so america is the light that's right well i appreciate you being on luke sherman everybody choices not chances podcast share it out get uh get this information out to the people that need to hear it and and if you're uh if you're a gold star blue star family first responder family and you need help reach out to me reach out to luke we'll put the information up there and uh and let's get the let's get the help that you need next time till choices <laughs> choices not chances till next time guys this is ryan and matt thank you well that concludes this episode Thanks for listening to Choices Not Chances podcast. Please share, like, and subscribe wherever you listen or watch our podcast. You can also follow us on social media at Choices Not Chances podcast. Thanks, and have a great day. Louisiana Gun Shop, your firearm headquarters, specializing in concealed carry guns, ammo, and training. You can get your Louisiana permit with us. Also, a large selection of AR-15s, or if you are that build-it-yourself type of guy or gal, we have all the parts to build and customize your own AR-15. Glock, Sig, Taurus, Ruger, we have all the brands, both in the store or at louisianagunshop.com. Not too far. You're marking a building. Hit him. Yeah, that's good. That's a good shot. That's funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah.